Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. What if we told you about a major breakthrough on awesome savings on all-inclusive beach vacays? OMG, this could break the case. Case? I'm talking about CheapCaribbean.com. It's full of hot savings. At CheapCaribbean.com, score an extra $175 off site-wide on vacations of four nights or more now through June 3rd. Swim up bar in Punta Cana or dip your toes in the sand on the shores of Cancun. We gotta take this show on the road. Start at CheapCaribbean.com. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash Here's something you wouldn't expect about Kim Jong-il. He wasn't born on the divine slopes of Mount Pektu. He wasn't even born in Korea. He spent the first four years of his life living in the eastern stretches of the Soviet Union, a logging camp in Siberia, to be exact. According to Russian birth records, Kim Jong-il's name is actually Yuri Irsinovich Kim. It was 1941. The Korean peninsula was occupied and controlled by Japan. And Kim's father, the future supreme leader Kim Il-sung, was a guerrilla freedom fighter, the leader of a ragtag platoon of communist soldiers fighting Japanese imperialists. But when World War II erupted, Kim Il-sung fled into the Soviet Union with a female soldier, a dogged fighter who had served as his bodyguard. Her name was Kim Jong-suk. According to people who knew her, Jong-suk was a warm-hearted but rugged and fearless woman. When she was a teenager, her family had been murdered by Japanese settlers. She had sworn revenge joined the Korean cause, and met Kim Il-sung on the battlefield. She even saved the man's life from a deadly ambush. And it was during this time, in the early 40s, that Chung-suk and Kim Il-sung fell in love, became unofficially married, and had two boys, Yuri Irsinovich, lovingly nicknamed Yura, and his little brother, Shura. In Russia, the children received endless attention and affection, But in 1945, when Korea was liberated from Japan, the Kim family returned home. 
Kim Il-sung, who had ingratiated himself with Soviet leadership, was installed by Joseph Stalin as North Korea's chairman. For a young Kim Jong-il and his brother, leaving Russia was difficult. Their parents became busy and distant. Their dad was occupied trying to build a communist utopia, and their mother was often away, traveling the country as his political representative. And then, in September 1949, tragedy struck. Kim Jong-suk was pregnant, and Kim Jong-il, just eight years old, waited in the palace for his mom to bring home a baby sister. Hours later, a family member arrived, tears streaming down her cheeks. Kim Jong-il was told to prepare, instead, for a funeral. The baby had been lost, and so, too, had his mother. Kim Jong-il panicked. He sprinted out the door in the direction of the hospital. Guards swooped in and grabbed him. As an officer lugged him back into the house, the little boy began wailing uncontrollably, calling out for his mother. At the funeral, Kim Jong-il was inconsolable. He clung to his dead mother's body and wept in her arms. When a group of elders tried to lead the boy away, his father stopped them, saying, Leave him alone. Tomorrow he will have no mother anymore in whose embrace to cry. Little did the boy know, but the supreme leader was already thinking about his wife's replacement. A grieving Kim Jong-il would watch with jealousy as his father built a new family around a new woman, growing even more distant from his eldest son. That's the strange thing about the stories of Kim Jong-il and Kim Jong-nam. The two generations share an eerie parallel. Both, in one way or another, would lose their mothers in childhood. And both would spend the rest of their lives fighting these other new families for the love and attention of their father, the supreme leader. The result would be a series of cruel family games, of manipulative infighting, that would do much more than alter the dynamic inside the gilded palaces of Pyongyang. It would change the course of world history. My name is Eden Lee, and in this episode, the tale of two generations of Kims vying for power in a world of subterfuge, espionage, and deceit and the mistake that may have cost Kim Jong-nam the crown and his life. She takes a gun away and she says, you're not getting any stupid ideas. Be a man and go forth and lead your country. In uh, East Asia, people around the court like to go on and on about which branch has what it takes to be the leading branch of the family. I think that it was due to the mothers that the succession decision was made. This is Big Brother. While Kim Jong-il's mother had died in childbirth, Kim Jong-nam's mother, you may remember, was still alive. She was exiled to a mental facility in Russia, leaving the young Kim Jong-nam effectively motherless and a state secret. And then, in 1980, when the boy was nine years old, 
his father agreed to send him to a boarding school abroad. Here's journalist Anna Fifield. Kim Jong-nam was living this very abnormal life. You know, he didn't go to school in North Korea. He was confined to one of these palatial compounds. And his grandmother actually said, you know, this is no way for a kid to live. So they, the first idea was to go off to the Soviet Union, to Moscow. But Kim Jong-nam was no fan of Russia. Like a true spoiled prince, he whined constantly. His biggest complaint? how dirty the Soviet Union's toilets were. So at the behest of his uncle, Chang Song-tek, the boy was sent to Switzerland. Chang Song-tek had found out that lots of celebrities sent their children to the school in Geneva. Uh, a Thai princess, Michael Douglas, had all gone to the school in Geneva. So Kim Jong-nam moved to Switzerland to attend the International School of Geneva, one of the most diverse academies on the planet. The institution overflowed with the sons and daughters of wealthy dignitaries and diplomats from all over the world, and even boasted alumni such as Indira Gandhi. Kim's cousin and playmate, Inamok, came with him. The two received fake names and fake passports. They were given alibis and told everybody they were the children of diplomats. To avoid bumping into nosy South Korean students, who were usually enrolled in English-speaking classes, the two cousins took courses in French. It's worth noting, they did not speak French. One of those nosy South Korean students, by the way, happened to be Dr. Hong Yoon Lee, professor at Tufts University. Many years ago, I enrolled at the International School of Geneva, Switzerland, sometime in September 1980. Not only did Dr. Lee attend the same school, he attended at the same time as Kim Jong-nam. I enrolled on the very same day. Kim Jong-nam was three years younger than I, so we never were in the same classroom, hardly ever crossed paths. But the South Korean ambassador, to the United Nations in Geneva, mistook Kim Jong-nam as a South Korean student and struck up a conversation with Kim Jong-nam. And the North Korean princeling said, I'm actually from North Korea. To say the least, the regime would have its hands full keeping Kim Jong-nam a secret. North Korea watched the potential successor closely. Even his cousin, Inamok, enrolled in the same classes just to keep a protective eye on him even though she was five years older than him, she, you know, went to his class. She was denied a normal upbringing. She was always five years behind there with him. The regime even rented a fifth-floor apartment across the street to monitor the princeling. But constant surveillance couldn't stop the fact that Kim Jong-nam would be exposed to everything Europe offered. A mixed economy, a free press, and a vast expanse of art, culture, and different ways of thinking. For years, this Western playground distracted him from the gossip of Pyongyang, namely that his father was building a new family with a new stepmom and two younger half-brothers. Instead, Kim Jong-nam spent his teenage years in blissful ignorance. And as he hobnobbed with the richest and most privileged children in the world, he became something of a snotty playboy. At school, Kim Jong-nam befriended the children of famous French singers. 
He went for joy rides in Mercedes Benzes with moneyed Arab princes. He let loose on the Riviera with hotel heiresses and skied the Alps with kids who had their own Swiss bank accounts. He partied and snorted drugs. He bought booze with his fake ID and drained the bottles by night. He slept with women and lost count of how many. And then in 1989, it all came crashing to an end. Kim Jong-nam turned 18, and his father demanded that he return to Pyongyang. When he arrived, residence number 15 was boiling with gossip. Kim Jong-il had children with another woman, uh, and then Kim Jong-il's affections were then showered upon that family. To put it lightly, the two branches of the family were not getting along. This is something that seems to have really emotionally scarred Kim Jong-nam, and he felt cast aside. Residence number 15, according to Anna Fifield, seethed with rivalry. As she wrote in her book, The Great Successor, quote, they were convinced that the other woman was a manipulative shrew who was poisoning Kim Jong-il against them. They talked about whether the woman was fat and derided her as half-Jap. They even concocted vicious nicknames for the stepmother calling her Pangchiko, a slur that means hammer nose, but with a twist, referencing the gambling game Pachinko to snipe at her Japanese roots. But insults couldn't heal the hurt. When Kim Jong-nam was sent to Europe, his branch of the family had become an afterthought. Now they felt second class, neglected, and the implications were obvious. The situation harmed Kim Jong-nam's political future. But for those close to the Kim family, this drama wasn't anything unusual. It was just deja vu. Because decades earlier, when Kim Jong-il was a little boy, similar complaints were swirling in the palace air. After the death of his mom, his dad had come home with a new mistress. And with this new woman in the picture... His political future had been at risk, too. The story of how Kim Jong-il clawed his way to the top when we return. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. 
Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Truth be told, Kim Jong-il had a tenuous relationship with his father long before this other woman stepped in. And that's because of a traumatic event that took place when Kim Jong-il, then known as Yura, was just a little boy. It's 1947. Yura and his little brother, Shura, are playing alone near the edge of a pond. Yura is around six. Shura, four. The boys grapple and horseplay around the shallows, splashing and dunking each other's heads under the surface. Yura lifts himself out of the water. But when little Shura tries to climb out, Yura, the bullying big brother, playfully pushes him back in. The boys laugh. And then Shura tries to get out a second time. But Yura shoves him right back into the murky lagoon. Yura teases his little brother and continues the cruel game again. And again. And again. Minutes later, the supreme leader rushes to the pond and finds a young Kim Jong-il standing awkwardly at the water's edge. What's the matter? What's the matter? He repeats the question over and over. But little Kim Jong-il is speechless. I'm asking you what this is all about. Look at me. Look at me. Kim Jong-il just stands there, his face to the ground, burrowed in shame. What have you been doing, Yoshira? Just offshore, floating in the water, is the lifeless body of his little brother. Kim Jong-il's official biography makes no mention of his dead brother. But documents captured by American soldiers after the Korean War show that Kim Il-sung was so heartbroken that he invited Buddhist monks and a shaman to pray at the site of the drowning. According to a defector close to the Kim family, young Kim Jong-il would spend the following years a, quote, lonely and guilty child, quiet, depressed, and fearful of what his father thought of him. The dual tragedy of losing his brother and mother would forever alter Kim Jong-il's relationship with his father, who had already started a separate family with a new woman and new sons. And that's what sparked a competition that would reshape the politics of North Korea. You see, during the DPRK's infancy, Kim Il-sung was more likely to pass power to a fellow comrade rather than his kids. The whole concept of hereditary succession was anathema to communist teaching. 
In fact, the North Korean Dictionary of Political Terminologies lambasted the practice, quote, Hereditary succession is a reactionary custom of exploitative societies. Originally a product of slave societies, it was later adopted by feudal lords as a means to perpetuate dictatorial rule. But then, at some point, Kim Il-sung changed his mind. By the mid-1960s, the supreme leader made it clear that power would remain in the family. Kim Jong-il, of course, was the first and eldest son. By Confucian tradition, the throne should have been his. But his spot wasn't guaranteed. Kim Il-sung clearly preferred his two youngest sons over his firstborn. Kim Jong-il felt the odds were stacked against him. And since his brother and mother were dead, he didn't have many advocates in the regime. So he deployed a plan. At the time, there was no true single-party rule yet. Multiple communist groups were jockeying for influence. Kim Il-sung knew that the stability of the country and his pursuit of power depended on consolidating their support. He gave impassioned speeches, like the one you're hearing now, to rally groups behind his leadership. Here's Michael Madden. Kim Il-sung, when he first became leader in 45, he had to contend with different factions of nationalist Koreans. Kim Il-sung doesn't have ultimate power, so his whole pursuit from 1945 to 1950 is basically to dominate the North Korean political system. Kim Il-sung's strategy centered on a combination of hard and soft power by both cracking skulls and poisoning minds. When he wasn't eliminating traitors through bloodshed, the leader was focusing his attention on winning people's trust. He enlisted advisors to boost his reputation as a person whose wisdom, knowledge, and power were unmatched. All of a sudden, peddling propaganda became a way to win favor with the leader. A palatial arms race ensued. Who could praise and idolize the supreme leader the most? This was Kim Jong-il's wheelhouse. As a lover of theater and movies, he was a master of artifice. He churned out films and news articles depicting his father not just as a wise and compassionate strongman, but as all-knowing. Kim Jong-il, in other words, would help transform his father into a living god. As part of this, Kim Jong-il made everybody in North Korea wear lapel pins of his father's face. He built dozens of mansions for his dad and funneled millions of dollars into erecting statues of his likeness. And so, Kim Il-sung the man became Kim Il-sung the legend. And the leader relished the attention. As more people praised him, the more the personality cult grew into a cartoonish mythology. The history books literally changed. Kim Il-sung transformed from a meager guerrilla fighter to the beating heart of the resistance movement the man who had single-handedly liberated the country. And people believed it. In 1979, journalist Bradley Martin visited North Korea for the World Table Tennis Championships. He realized that North Korea operated with 
a peculiar piety. When I first went there, it clearly was a, a religious state that the people worship Kim Il-sung. And in his opinion, it was sincere. The worship was not purely a matter of their submitting to uh, government, but they wanted to uh, worship him. They, they loved him. And uh, I detected very little falsity in the expressions of praise. And uh, it was very much a religious state. Kim Jong-il's propaganda efforts would change the face of North Korea, and they put him back in his father's good graces. But it still didn't guarantee that he'd inherit the throne. The one thing standing in Kim Jong-il's way was his new stepmother, who was positioning her firstborn son, named Kim Kyung-il, as the successor. In uh, East Asia, people around the court like to go on and on about which branch has what it takes to be the leading branch of the family. That was uh, pretty much as it was with Kim Jong-il and his brother, uh, Kim Pyong-il, his rival. Kim Pyong-il was a terrifying opponent. He was the spitting image of their father. He had a much more affectionate relationship with him, too. And no amount of flattering publicity could replace the fact that Kim Il-sung spent his nights sleeping next to Pyongyang's mother. Propaganda was no match for pillow talk. Kim Jong-il realized that in order to become the frontrunner, he'd have to do more than boost his father into the image of a god. To destroy his little brother's prospects, he'd have to eliminate the power of the other woman. Two decades later, Kim Jong-nam would face a similar challenge with his stepmother. When he returned from Europe, the dynamics of palace life had changed. His father, once so loving, hardly visited residence number 15 anymore. It was as if the Jong-nam side of the family didn't exist. Kim Jong-il's other family included a five-year-old son, Kim Jong-un, and their father devoted all of his free time and energy to this little boy. But what really shocked and dismayed Kim Jong-nam's branch of the family was how brazen his father's new mistress, Ko Young-hee, was acting. Up until this point, Kim Jong-il's wives were to run the household. They were not to be involved in politics. He changes his mind about that with Ko Young-hui. As Michael Madden explains... Ko shamelessly inserted herself into politics. Ko Young-hui is allowed to talk to the political aides that come by the house to brief Kim Jong-il. That's where Ko Young-hui starts to attain a degree of political importance. She's a close steward, a selection of Kim Jong-il's top guys. To Kim Jong-nam's side of the family, Ko Young-hui was just manipulating the man. She was nothing but a gold digger an illegitimate concubine unworthy of the title of wife. And she was part Japanese, North Korea's sworn enemy. And so, to Kim Jong-nam's family, her kids weren't successors. They were illegitimate children and thus illegitimate heirs. But like the generation before him, Kim Jong-nam's mother was out of the picture. Kim Jong-nam's mother had 
basically had a mental breakdown and gone to Moscow and stayed abroad for almost the rest of her life. And so she was literally out of the inner circle. She was far away. She didn't have much influence. Ko Young-hee, on the other hand? Kim Jong-un's mother, she was very much in the inner circle. She was at Kim Jong-il's side. She was making decisions. She was advising him. And she had been trying to position both of her sons as the heir apparent to Kim Jong-il. So she did things like making sure that they both got the military uniforms and were called little generals, just like Kim Jong-nam was. She made sure that they went into like the, the North Korean equivalent of West Point so that they had that military training and they could justify leading a, a country that had a military-first policy. Uh, she was actively lobbying for them behind the scenes. I think that it was due to the mothers that the succession decision was made. And Ko Young-hee knew a thing or two about getting on the leader's good side. In fact, in 1992, she became one of the most important people in the regime. At that point, Kim Jong-il had taken the reins of decision-making, with his father remaining a mere figurehead. But one day, Kim Jong-il was riding a horse when he fell off and suffered a severe head injury. It was so bad that the regime flew in a neurologist from France. According to Michael Madden, with her husband incapacitated, Ko Young-hee stepped in. During that point, Ko Young-hui basically starts helping him with paperwork that's coming into the house. And so for a whole year, Ko Young-hee acts as Kim Jong-il's top advisor. And then when Kim Jong-il officially becomes supreme leader, she saves her husband's life a second time. Ko Young-hui goes by a room in one of the houses and sees Kim Jong-il cleaning his gun. Kim Jong-il is going to shoot himself in the head and commit suicide. She takes a gun away and she says, you're not getting any stupid ideas. Be a man and go forth and lead the country. So this is where Kim Jong-un's mother is sort of endeared to the leader, where she becomes a political force and a political influence. This is where Kim Jong-nam's path diverges from his father's. Kim Jong-il prevented his stepfamily from stealing the successorship by, well, sucking up to his father. It was filial piety on steroids. But when Kim Jong-nam's stepmother interfered, he rebelled. Rather than elevate his father's image, he escaped his royal compound and drank his way across Pyongyang. There was a period of time when Kim Jong-nam was in his 20s and was essentially kind of locked in this gilded cage in Pyongyang. You know, he was this young guy wanting to be, you know, socializing and having fun and things, and he wasn't able to do that in Pyongyang. So him and his cousin, Rinam Ok, uh, would go out in one of the regime Mercedes, you know, at nighttime, go joyriding around the place and kind of burn off a little steam. And word spread fast. Pyongyang's elite complained that Kim Jong-nam was a belligerent and obnoxious drunk. He made people bow when he entered a room. One time, the drunken prince entered a hotel lobby, pulled out a pistol, and littered the ceiling with bullet holes, all because somebody had taken his parking space. 
There's speculation that these stories aren't actually true. But in Pyongyang, that didn't matter. These rumors were circulating, and they were making Kim Jong-il look bad. So when he found out, he went berserk. Kim Jong-il was extremely angry about this um, and basically put them under house arrest uh, in their compound in Pyongyang. He denied food to them. They had to live on what they had and, you know, they were really cut off and punished as a result of this. Kim Jong-nam's father even threatened to send his son and extended family to a labor camp. But nobody in residence number 15 blamed the young prince. They blamed his stepmother. According to Jeongnam's cousin, Yi Namok, quote, the other woman's fingerprints were all over this. There is a suggestion, yeah, that it was Kim Jong-un's mother who tipped off Kim Jong-il and, and tried to make them look bad. Gossip spread that it was actually the stepmother who had snitched on Jeongnam. As Fifield writes in her book, Ko Young-hee had, quote, encouraged Kim Jong-il to allow his oldest son more freedom then ratted on the young man when he enjoyed that freedom. The family was convinced that this other woman would do anything to tarnish the reputation of the man competing with her sons. In his mid-twenties, Kim Jong-nam did clean up his act and began joining his father on official summits, even accompanying him on a trip to Mount Pektu. In 1997, he began studying economics, a sign that he was destined for big things and was given a military post. Here's Bradley Martin. When uh, Kim Jong-nam was 24, his father uh, presented him a general's uniform. Everybody started calling him general. That seems to me a pretty good indication that uh, he was at least being thought of as the successor. And at the same time, Kim Jong-nam was awarded the freedom to travel beyond the palace walls. He adventured to Japan and Beijing, where some suggest he indulged in women and illicit activities, as well as official business. Everywhere he went, he traveled with a fake passport under a fake name. By 1998, things were looking up. Kim Jong-nam was elected as a delegate to North Korea's legislature. He even got to flex his muscles as a computer whiz. He was active in getting the Korean Computer Center started up and in the import of computers. And he had a position which is now called the Ministry of Social Security. Those are pretty high-end positions as far as the North Korean regime of that day. This latter position at the State Security Ministry was an important one. Kim Jong-nam had the tough job of handling defectors and refugees, and it gave him an opportunity to show his soft side. There was, an incident. there was an incident around 1998 where hundreds of North Koreans had fled into China to try to find food, which was highly illegal. These people were all detained, and then one day, they were all turned loose. They all got pardoned. And they were told to thank Comrade Kim Jong-nam because Comrade Kim Jong-nam had exercised his benevolence on their behalf and forgiven these hungry people. In the words of a human rights activist, the official party line was, you owe all of this to Kim Jong-nam. By the millennium, it seemed that Kim Jong-nam had survived his roaring 20s, had survived the manipulations of his stepmother. He was building a name for himself in the regime. 
And then in 2001, this happened. Tokyo Disneyland. Disneyland. Taking his son to Disneyland. Kim Jong Nam got caught going to Disneyland. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives with 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional. You can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part: you can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. What if we told you about a major breakthrough on awesome savings on all-inclusive beach vacays? OMG, this could break the case. Case? I'm talking about CheapCaribbean.com. It's full of hot savings. At CheapCaribbean.com, score an extra $175 off site-wide on vacations of four nights or more now through June 3rd. Swim up bar in Punta Cana or dip your toes in the sand on the shores of Cancun. We got to take this show on the road. Start at CheapCaribbean.com. We'll get back to Mickey Mouse later. The very fact that Kim Jong Nam's political prospects ever survived the 1990s, despite his gun-toting, beer-guzzling, sex-loving reputation, is remarkable. Because that's exactly what helped bring down Kim Jong Il's half brother, Kim Pyong Il. Remember that rivalry? In the 1970s, Pyong Il was steadily climbing the ladder. He entered the bodyguard division of the Supreme Guard Command. Graduated from Kim Il Sung University, was promoted to colonel, and named vice head of the strategic department of bodyguards. All signs pointed to Kim Pyong Il as the supreme leader's favorite. It helped that his mother was still around to whisper encouraging words into Kim Il Sung's ear. But there was one problem: Kim Pyong Il was the life of the party. He drank. Danced and caroused with officers in the state security department, and with bigwigs in the bodyguard units. He lived for elaborate gifts, engraved watches, and free drinks. Little did he know, Big Brother Kim Jong Il was spying on him. One day at a party, a group of bodyguards started drunkenly praising the young potential heir, chanting. This was a dumb mistake. In a country where Kim Il Sung was a living god, only one person deserved a live-long chant. This was pure, unadulterated blasphemy. Word soon reached Kim Jong Il. As the state propaganda master, he knew these chants sounded like somebody trying to chip away at the supreme leader's allegiances. 
Kim Jong-il was a, a better infighter than Kim Pyong-il. So he, he got some dirt on Kim Pyong-il and, and got the word to his father that Kim Pyong-il was parading around as if he were the successor designate, as if he were a big shot. Kim Il-sung was outraged. Pyongyang was quickly uh, demoted. He went off and became a diplomat in Europe for his whole career. And so Kim Pyongyang was shipped off to an embassy overseas. For a member of the royal family, it was like being put out to pasture. Kim Pyongyang would spend the rest of his life living under constant surveillance. Kim Jong-il was happy to have his half-brother out of the picture. But ousting that nuisance wasn't enough. He was hell-bent on weakening his stepmother's power too, just to be safe. So he exploited one of his father's greatest weaknesses. The supreme leader was a notorious flirt. And his son knew he could drive a wedge into their relationship by simply introducing his dad to new women. Ladies who could shower him with attention and pleasure. The scheme worked. The marriage between his father and his stepmother frosted over. With Kim Il-sung's attention elsewhere, the woman's influence waned. Kim Jong-il won a battle of attrition. Soon, he was announced the successor. He celebrated by sticking his stepmother's nose in it. In 1975, she was forced to publicly read an embarrassing speech praising Kim Jong-il's dead mother. The stepmom was compelled to call her, quote, an imperishable communist revolutionary fighter and outstanding woman activist. She also had to call her one of the three generals of Mount Pektu and the biggest insult, the mother of the nation. Soon, the stepmother's relationship with Kim Il-sung completely dissolved. Six years later, she was placed under house arrest. By the late 1980s, as Kim Jong-il amassed more power, the woman who had tried to cut him down was nowhere to be seen. But the same could not be said for Kim Jong-nam's stepmother. On May 1st, 2001, a plane flying out of Singapore touched down at Narita International Airport outside of Tokyo, Japan. Kim Jong-nam, then just 29 years old, arguably near the height of his political clout, stepped off the plane with his family, two women, and a little four-year-old boy. As the family stood in line for immigration, security officials approached. They asked to inspect Kim Jong-nam's passport. Like the rest of the royal family, the document was fake. It said he was from the Dominican Republic and listed his name as Pang Xiong, Chinese for fat bear. Officials led Kim Jong-nam into a room for questioning. At first, Jong-nam stonewalled the investigators. Speaking a mix of Japanese and English, an hour passed before he dropped the bombshell that he was the son of North Korea's dictator. He explained that he had come to take his young son to Tokyo Disneyland. He showed them his passport again, displaying stamps proving that 
He had entered Japan multiple times without trouble. But the questioning continued. Over the next 72 hours, Kim Jong-nam and his family would be kept at an immigration detention center. Word got out fast, and journalists flocked to the airport. Meanwhile, in Pyongyang, officials scrambled to deny the news. The regime, according to Song Yun Lee, was growing embarrassed. Why is that embarrassing? Because North Korea rails against the evils of capitalism, materialism, Western pop culture, and Disneyland nicely uh, encaptures all of those qualities. After three days, Kim Jong-nam and his family were deported. But not before journalists snapped photos of North Korean royalty making the walk of shame onto an airplane. When Kim Jong-nam returned home, his father was outraged. He disinvited his son from attending a special economics meeting with the Chinese, and he'd never be invited to a high-level event again. Two years later, the North Korean People's Army Publishing Company released an article entitled The Respected Mother is the Most Faithful and Loyal Subject to the Dear Leader Comrade Supreme Commander. The story was designed to deify the mother of the future successor in the same way that Kim Jong-il's late mother had been celebrated. But the subject of the article was not Kim Jong-nam's mother. It was Ko Young-hee, the mother of Kim Jong-un. To this day, rumors swirl that Kim Jong-un was, in fact, just the beneficiary of his mother's dirty tricks. There was some South Korean chitter-chatter that it was actually Kim Jong-un's mother who leaked the details about the Disneyland Tokyo trip to the Japanese press in an effort to actively embarrass Kim Jong-nam. Did Kim Jong-un's mother tip off the Japanese about Kim Jong-nam's travel plans to Tokyo? Nobody is certain. But with Kim Jong-nam disgraced, an international laughingstock the event certainly helped push her sons to the front of the line. I came away with the impression that it was because of her efforts to promote her sons that Kim Jong-un had risen to the top. Kim Jong-il won the battle against his stepmother. Kim Jong-nam did not. Next time on Big Brother, Kim Jong-nam walks a tightrope with his father's favor after putting the regime's carefully protected image in peril. Big Brother is a production of School of Humans and iHeartRadio and hosted by me, Aiden Lee. Lucas Riley is our writer, co-director, and associate producer. Amelia Brock is our senior producer, co-director, and editor. Executive producers are Virginia Prescott, Brandon Barr, Elsie Crowley, and Jason English. Our fact checker is Aaron Blakemore. Music composed by Jason Todd Shannon and Toon Walders. Original score mixed by Vic Stafford. Our opening song is Waltz Number no. 2 from the Second Suite for Jazz Orchestra by Dmitry Shostakovich, as performed by the Ukraine National Symphony Orchestra. Licensed from Naxos Records and G. Shermer Inc. The North Korean national anthem is licensed from Warner Chapel Production Music. Audio editing by Jesse Nyswanger. Sound design and mix by Harper W. Harris. Special sound credit to Kwama 2 of freesound.org. Audio correction by Josh Fisher. 
Voice acting by Mark Chung, Jun Yoon, Mike Coscarelli, Sean McKee, Daniel Kim, Yuri Nam, and Judy Alice Lee. Special thanks to Norikazu and Hanako Goto, Ryan Murdoch, and Will Pearson. Sound licensed from Critical Past. If you're enjoying the podcast, help us get the word out by leaving a rating in your favorite podcast app. Until next time, I'm Eden Lee. School of Humans. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.